Alonzo King, choreographer of Lions Ballet. Go to lionsballet.org and get some tickets and also find out when their season starts here in, in San Francisco. It's November 2nd through 6th. Next, they will be in St. Petersburg and Moscow, November 11th through 21st. I love this guy. And the Lions Ballet's new season, that's right, thank you, Alonzo, <laughs> is uh, November 2nd through 6th. It'll be held at Yerba Buena Center for Arts. Also, this is incredible. You'll be in Russia November 11th through 21st at two different theaters in Moscow. One is the Stena Slavsky mm-hmm. Theater. And also, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the historic Marinsky Theater in St. Petersburg. Yeah. So this is big stuff. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. We're really thrilled. It's like a, a circle. I mean, Russia was where ballet was super glorified. It was codified in French, mm-hmm. in France, and in French, but it was uh, really glorified in Russia. You, how did this evolve? It's... Um, Diana Vishneva is a ballerina, and she's leaving uh, American Ballet Theater and she is starting her own presenting organization where she wants to present choreographers from around the world. And she invited us. She'd seen the work and she, was, she loved it and she said, I, I want you to come. Yeah, and you perform all over the world. Your dance all over team the does. World. Yes. Where are some of the other locations? Well, <clears throat> in about three months, we're going to spend a week in Paris, but I am so travel. I, I can't. The places that we haven't been is where I can tell you, and that's mostly right. in China. Mm. But we have a new agent who's booking us in China right now as we speak. Must be so exciting. Yeah. Where are you right now? Um, you know, the hilltop is determined by your mental attitude. Uh-huh. Because just like a surfer, there are there the waves that come, and then there's a time where you wait for the waves. Yeah. But in the time where you where you wait for the waves, you don't want to wait. What you want to do is enjoy that time, and and so the mental attitude is that you want to be content and enjoy what you're doing, regardless of any external circumstance. You know, people will often say, oh my God, you're in Hungary right now, or you're in Paris right now, that must be amazing, or you guys, wherever you are. But the reality is, it's where my mind is. Because if it's in a funk, it doesn't matter where I am. And if it's um, cheerful, then where you are is enhanced. And so the goal, after you've been working for a really long time and after you've lived for a while, is to realize that Outer circumstances can affect you to a degree, but you have to have an internal world that you can go to and it should be full of wonder and peace so that you have some kind of retreat that's portable. Mm-hmm. The, you know, because we do live in two worlds. We have an external world and an internal world, and the external world is subject to all kinds of pollution. Mm-hmm. But the internal world, like, the internal world is really huge in children. And so the internal world is something that usually gets stripped away. Children see things that we don't see. They experience things that we don't see. 
And those things start to diminish as you become more conscious and identify yourself with your body. And then there's a limitation that happens. But if you, that's one of the wonders of art and creativity. If you can maintain that internal world, then you are more buffeted against the external. Mm. And, and it starts curiously with the identification with the body. That's a big source of problems. Helen Keller said that she was not able to get free until she realized that her body was not herself. She was in this body that was deaf, dumb, and blind. And inside was this brilliant genius of a woman. And she said it began to click for her when she realized that the prison that she was in was not her. Mm-hmm. That she, herself was not that body. And that's also what you see in the maturity of great dancing. You really don't think of, you don't identify as this body as yourself. The body's gonna, the body's gonna corrupt. The body's gonna disappear. And all the things that can disappear, that's not you. That's not who you are. You know, the senses, the intellect, all the things that people may admire people for, at some point they disintegrate, but the person doesn't. The body is the vehicle and it's a big, um, it takes a long time to get to that place where you can separate them. So there must be coaching that you have to you know, provide for yourself or even you provide for your dancers to get that, you know, that whipped into shape. I mean, it's not as easy to have that positive mental attitude and that, that focus. It's work. Yeah. What do you, you do it brilliantly. It's ridiculous. Not all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Not buying it. <laughs> what kind of coaching do you do, you know, to yourself? The, for me, I have a practice of meditation. With TM or transcendental meditation? Self-realization fellowship, Yogananda. Uh-huh. But I think for anybody, there has to be a period because all of us have a conscience. It just talks to you. Mm-hmm. It can become petrified if you don't listen to it. It really can. It can dry up and become hard and you're not even aware of it anymore. Often people run away from it because what it's saying can be disturbing. Mm -hmm. Introspection can pummel the stoutest ego if you're really looking for motive and saying, why am I doing things? What is the purpose of this? What is my intention here? If you really go into introspection, it can, it can be devastating, but also liberating. And so that place of information that's already inside of people is the place that you want to wake up and magnify. With dancers, mm-hmm. and this, in the same way that we as human beings have a moral conscience, how do we know? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be mean to people. It doesn't feel good to judge people. It doesn't feel good to disappoint yourself. And so in the same way that's applied to the arts, that you're asking yourself, is this work, meaning someone's work, whatever it is, painting, writing, novels, uh, architecture, design, is this work to impress people? Is this work to show off my skill? Or can it be aligned with some deeper values? You know, it's like when you go into a beautiful natural setting and you see this kind of Mac mansion and you go, this isn't quite working. Mm-hmm. You know, and the ancients have um, showed us beautifully 
about the laws of nature and how they work in architecture. When you see an igloo, mm -hmm. when you see a teepee, when you see the, the, the mud huts in certain indigenous tribes, they're talking about the globe. Mm -hmm. They're still addressing the horizon and the sky above and earth below. And all those things are informed by nature. And so that is a good part of what the training is because how rare do you meet someone who's just natural? Not so common, who's just natural. And so in dancing, there was a period where it became incredibly denatured at, at, at classical ballet, it's what it's called, it's um, glory days. And that largely in part was because the dancing turned away from an internal expression to dancing before the king mm -hmm. or dancing before the czar. Mm -hmm. and, that, oh. and that was talking about materialism because the czar could change your life. Yeah. The, jar, the czar or king chose consorts from the dance performance. Mm -hmm. And it became external. Mm -hmm. And rank materialism just infected classical dance and that's why so many people left. How would you categorize the... the the, I think, enormous change and direction for what you guys are doing at Lions Ballet. How did that manifest? How would you describe the work you're doing? I think it's like <clears throat> um, almost everything now. The food industry. People don't want poisoned food anymore. People want to live healthily and they want their children to live healthily. And so they're making serious choices about what is good for the body and mind mm -hmm. and what isn't. What's false, even though it may taste good. What is harming, you know, what's harmful. And, or one of the most difficult ones, what do I break away from, which is a hard habit because my, this is what my family introduced to me as good food. And that is the same thing that we do in at lines is we want to remove everything that's false. Let me put it another way. When you are doing work for an audience, you're feeding them. Mm -hmm. And so the food must be delicious, but it also has to be nutritious. Mm -hmm. there, has to be, there has to be value in that food for them to eat. It can't be cotton candy. And so Often you'll hear people say, well, I don't know about art, but I know what I like. And so it's a, it's a miseducation in the same way as eating bad food is really a miseducation. And so it's like, it's like someone saying, well, I don't know about food, but I sure like to eat sugar and I want to eat it all the time. <laughs> and so that's destroying their body, right? And so in, when you're creating works, the food has to be rich and it has to have nutrition it has to have nutritional value or what's the point mm -hmm. when you're uh, so you started as a dancer yes and made a transition into a choreographer yes what was that transition like and i've got some follow-up questions that i'm keep clanging All right. on. <laughs> well i started as a human <laughs> and then I just love to move. My mother was an amateur dancer. And so 
she would show me things and she had been in at university, she was in the creative movement class, you know, something like that. And she had pictures from there, which I thought were really cool. Yeah. It was attention from her, so there was a form of intimacy, which I adored. And I really liked watching her move. And so it just never stopped. <clears throat> and so making the transition into uh, being the leader of Lance Ballet, you know, kind of coaching these you know, wonderful, talented men and women. I mean, you must um, stop somewhere. From what I've seen when I go to some of your rehearsals, yes. there are guests coming. Yeah. You, there must be some preparation work you've done uh, a long time before, but then they bring the best out of themselves. So at some point you must be giving guidance, but also you're like, do it yourself. Do it. <laughs> so where is that line drawn? I, it must be a very tough yes. thing to negotiate. Yeah, there was a part of your question that I omitted answering directly. And that was, <clears throat> there, came to, there came a place during high school where I had a lot of full scholarships at big universities and I had to make a decision about what I was going to do. You know, in, in the direct question right, right. about how did you become a dancer right, right, choreographer. Right. And at that point, um, you know, my father said, do what you want, you know, do what cool. you want. And my mother was like, could you just go to university for a little while? <laughs> and so, um, but I chose dance yeah. because I thought I was interested in tons of things, but I thought, what will keep me fascinated? Mm -hmm. You know, what will, who can I marry that I will never cheat on? And mm -hmm. it was dance. To the question about working with, um, artists to the question about working with artists whether with my company or other companies you have the honor of sitting in front of someone who often has a power that they haven't recognized yet because it's hard for us to see ourselves you know, it's easy to see other people and admire their prowess, intelligence, whatever, but it's really hard to see in yourself, you know, particularly when you're young. And so that is an incredible gift to, to tell someone who thinks that they are a sheep that, no, in fact, you're a lion. Nice. Love that. And... That comes often in ways that are not spoken by material that you give them, just by the physical inhabiting of certain kinds of movement that brings on a certain consciousness, um, which is fascinating because if you hold physical forms, they speak to you in the same way that if I make a sad face and hold it for a long time, after a while, I don't feel so good. Or if I make a smile, and even if it's fake in the beginning, yeah. if I hold it for a while, there's this concomitant feeling that's connected to the, to the physical form. Yeah. And so in physical forms, if you're listening to them, they're communicating ideas yeah. in the same way that people, if they feel that they're not strong, listen to Beethoven. Listen to Beethoven every day. It'll affect you. People who have cold hearts and who say, I don't feel anything. I just don't feel it. Listen to Chopin. 
It will change you if you listen every day. Why? Because this is consciousness that you're diving into and you're imbibing. You know, it's a these are these are thought planes that you are stepping into and they affect you. Just like the debates make you feel yucky that have been happening because they're on such a low level. And so if you are drinking that daily, it drenches your brain cells and affects how you feel. And so consciousness is what we live in. And so what we imbibe is really, really important. It's again back to that metaphor about eating. You know, what are you taking in? It has to be good for you. Mm -hmm. And and so what about, so, so you're pulling the best out of those, those people. It must be also challenging to get the best um, that you can uh, even in front of you. What, what, is it, what is it like to even you know, select a troop? And they stick with you for a long time, right? I mean, not stick with you, but stick with the program. But stick with you, though, really. Yeah, it's That's beautiful. Um, I think it's when you... <clears throat> I've been saying it more now about when someone joins the company that we are in a relationship. It was kind of unspoken in the past. But for me, I feel a responsibility. It's a small company. I never want more than 14. Uh -huh. um, because when I'm listening to those bodies, again, I'm tuning into their consciousness. And what does that mean? It means that I want them to be able to leave me and go anywhere. To be, to be able to get into any other company that exists. And so, I'm, so I, I'm not trying to use them. We're working together, but I want to maintain and continue their artistic growth. I feel a huge responsibility about it. And whether they are on the brink and are just brimming with excitement about the next level, or they're reticent and I'm dragging them by the hair, <laughs> it's, that is the goal. And that has to be, because in the agreement of director with the artists that you're working with, you have to be concerned about their art, because that's what's inside of them. I don't believe that any of us should ever be comfortable. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. And so I love them, but I keep a strong distance. Do you, I talked about this yesterday on, on another podcast, but there is an author and um, a director too, and there's a sweet spot when you're creating. I was, I was working on something yesterday, yeah, and and then I start like performing. I'm a little bit giddy. I'm kind of <laughs> like goofball when I'm, yeah. I'm like whatever I was doing, it was alive for me. Yeah, and it was it was fantastic, and like I. I just hope to have one of those a day or yeah. two of those a week or something right. like that. Right. And luckily I have enough of them. But what does that feel like when you're on your craft and it, it's just jamming? When you're jamming, it feels, for me, I feel um, like I'm being helped. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> so it's, it's like mining. And you're just mining and excavating and nothing and nothing and nothing. And then you catch the gold vein and you go, wow, you know. It was a discovery because there's, I mean, there, there are ways where you can go into what people call the super conscious, where the, where, the, um, where the vault of all creativity lies. And that practice, again, is about stillness 
stepping into a field of information and dropping your personal story. And this and that identification, those keep you narrow and defined. And when those things can drop, an expansion happens. And that is very liberating. That's one of the reasons indigenous cultures dance in the circle, you know, with the community, whether it's the women on this side or the men on that side or together, it's about feeling your larger self. So it's getting out of smallness. And that, that sense is what communities, real communities try to create so that there's a larger self. And when you hit that vein of creativity or you're receiving information that is more than the ordinary, it's expansion. And that's what everybody wants. Everything wants expansion. Everything. Growth. Growth. Everything. That's what gyms are trying to do when they're sparkling. Their radiance is reaching for more. That's what dancers are trying to do. That's what human beings are trying to do with growth. Mental, physical, spiritual growth. That's what trees and their roots and branches. Everything is reaching for expansion. You don't want to be... I mean, that's what the, that's what the metaphor, the seed is. You know, look at the little seed. Is the seed going to say, I am an oak. People say, oh, come on. But yes, I'm an oak. And so that's the same with dancers. You're telling them, you're an oak. Yeah, you, you speak in these metaphors, and, and I'm, I'm sure when you're on the other side of, um, of um, I guess, the company, when you're a dancer with you, you tell stories to you know, develop uh, more motivation or to really get your point across. How, how did you develop that? It's beautiful, mind you, and I'm, I'm so impressed every time I get to sit down with you. <laughs> so, but how did you develop that? I think it had to be from, I think it had to be from fighting to maintain an internal world. I think it had to also do with um, a search for truth that I often found absent in schools. (laughs) And I also think that parents who actually believed what they spoke. I mean, they were exemplars. I mean, they were willing to die for what they believed in. I'm not there. <laughs> you know, die for dance. And no, and was, <laughs> and, and was inti- and I was intimidated by their um, by their depth and commitment. And so they always told me to question whatever, you know, from day one, whatever anyone says, question it, examine it, find, find out for yourself. You know, so many of the things that people tell us they know, it's like, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. I read it. Mm-hmm. Or my history teacher said so. And so then you don't know it. <laughs> you know, you don't really know it. You have to direct experience as the teacher. And that's either, it's direct experience, no way around it. It has to be, and it doesn't mean you have to go there, but there is a knowing which is the aim of the artist, which is intuition. It's where you know what you know, and it needs no validation, even if everyone says it's wrong. 
This is this is the right. mentality of pioneers, right. right? And so that, I mean, who would not want that? And everyone has felt it to some degree. Everyone, you say, oh, I'll get, uh, something's telling me to get an umbrella. Why? That's stupid. It's so sunny out here. You go out, an hour later, it rains. There's, you know, everyone has it to some degree, and just like consciousness that we were talking about earlier, it. Intuition can also atrophy if it's not exercised. Mm -hmm. And if it is exercised, it can become large and it can become accurate. <clears throat> I remember visiting people in the South, poor people in, you know, with tin roofs and, you know, house, houses lifted up by cinder blocks. Yeah. And you would go to the door and these wise men and women would enter. Right. You would like, wow, who are they? Right. And they could look at you and assess your character in seconds. And you just knew they knew. Yeah. You know, they had a wisdom. They were not educated, but they were incredibly educated. Right. And that always impressed me. And so the, the development of intuition is something that the West has largely killed. It's starting to change now because we live in a world of misogyny, because it's connected with feeling, and that is demonized as, as low, weak, feminine, mm -hmm. and there is brilliance in the heart. And it's a, and the, the knowledge that's in the heart is deeper than intellect. That's the joke about the whole thing. Intellect has power and it's wonderful, but it has a ceiling. The heart does not. And it's also a place of wisdom and information and intelligence. And so that heart has to be developed. It's a big deal. And I was just thinking, who would Alonzo King admire? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to take a stab at it because I was thinking, I was thinking like, who would I admire? I might you know, rift on some people who are in my field or... You know, um, uh, an aunt who was really influential, and I would go, you know, would go down a few paths. <laughs> and I would also think to myself, well, actually, I admire the work ethic of some of these builders that I see on sites. Yeah, I'm designing something. Yeah, they're crafting. You saw that you're actually doing our little island. I saw office that. Right now. Yeah, I admire those guys. Yeah, I think at my best self. I admire human beings, because baby, we are in a struggle. <laughs> And anyone involved in that struggle, I admire them. The standouts for me are Gandhi, you know, people who have gone through struggle and, and transformed themselves, Harriet Tubman. I mean, can you imagine coming out of slavery, which was impossible to come out of slavery and to, to have made that impossible leap and then want to go back. It's hard who, to imagine. Who does that? And so you've come out of hell and you're willing to go back into hell because you love your fellow man so much bring and back. bring them back. It's incredible. It's who, who does that? <clears throat> and in, in India, that's called the avatar because the avatar reaches bliss and says, this is so amazing. They reach the wall and cross over into bliss and say, I've got to return. 
I've got to go back to my fellow man and pull everyone so that they can enjoy this experience. And, you know, you don't, you don't hear that. And it, that is, what an example. What an example. And riddled with intuition. She talks about it and everything I've read about her, you know, she would go to someone and say, you have $62.46 in your house. And they go, how did she know that? <laughs> it would be exact. And she said, I need that for the Underground Railroad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're... To have withstood slavery, there had to be just astronomical strength and, and depth yeah. and the internal world kept alive. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I met a man once. He was part of the Angola Three. He came to a performance. <clears throat> and I was really honored that he came. And um, he'd been in prison for 36 years for something he didn't do in solitary. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, how did you do it? You know? And, and because when I imagine that, I don't, it's hard for me to see myself surviving. I mean, how do you do that? We know what isolation does to you. And I said, T I said, I would have gone crazy. And he said, what makes you think I'm not crazy? And I said, so what did you, how did you manage it? He said, I ha he said, bitterness could have destroyed me. And I had to find some spiritual understanding to free myself. Same thing when I spoke to him. Um, a Native American chief once, and he was telling me that he got to a point where he was so bitter at what, at the condition of his people and the history of what had been done to his people, and he said he did um, a, what do you call it, a sweat lodge, and he, he came to the realization that I want to be happy. <laughs> Oh, you know, plain That's and weird. simple. Yeah. He said, I want to be happy. I don't, and this doesn't mean that he doesn't have, that he doesn't work against oppression, but he said, I had to get to a place where I had to pull my head out of that because in the remaining years that I have, I don't want to be in bitterness. Probably can't function that well <clears throat> either, but that's, that kind of made me sad just to think of how much pain he was trying to reverse and work through. And then he had to make a decision to go on the almost on the other side. Yes. But but what a gift that he was yeah. able to because there are alternatives. You know, you can stay there, you can commit suicide, you can turn, you can become like the people that you hate. There's those choices. But yeah. but his degree is extreme, but we all have that test. Every single one of us no matter how it appears mm -hmm. in our external condition, oh they must be happy because they nope, not really. You know, everyone has that challenge. Darkness or light, everyone. The world sort of comes kind of hard at you. Yes, it does. <clears throat> it, it really you know, does. And it can make you pretty calloused. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you don't want the world to cheat you because it will. And mm -hmm. that's, again... You know, when there's an education that tells you that contentment is going to be found by you chasing the carrot in front of your head, it's a lie. You know, we've, we've realized after you've gotten comfortable, you don't need more. 
just problems. You know, keep life super simple. We don't need a lot. It's important to have what you need, you know, a roof over your head. More, more to the point, what you need when you need it. That's a great life. But excess doesn't work. It's not going to make you happy. I've met men and women who've received every award you can get. And I mean it. Miserable. I've seen it left and right. So that external stuff doesn't work. Doesn't work. It has to be an internal satisfaction. There has to be, you have to believe and feel good about yourself, enjoy your own company, you're kind to people, that you are giving back and serving people somehow that feels really good. <laughs> it can maintain you. The balance. The, uh, it helps with the balance. It helps with the balance. And also, scientifically, the more you give, the more you get. Sure. There's no, no, there's no one who's giving who's not, you know, it's a secret. There's That's no right. one who's giving who's not just happy. It feels good. I was thinking, what would you, what would you then say to people, even your dancers or even people who need just a little bit of wind in their sail? You know, what do you have? Uh, you must have several, several different tools <laughs> that you're, you know, putting out uh, toward them to move them along. What are some good uh, um, parables that you use for that? <laughs> I, I think um, we really, when most people define who they are, they're limiting themselves and underestimating themselves. You know, when you think that you're this race, sex, age, this conditioning from this part of the world, blah, 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 blah. That's not really who you are. You know, human beings <clears throat> have done the lowest, most heinous, and the highest, most illuminating acts. And so that means we all have that potential. If one human being can do it, you can also do it. It's the same cloth. Mm -hmm. It's the same yeah. cloth. There's this idea that... I am living my own little life in my separate existence and it doesn't affect other people. It's absolute nonsense. We affect each other, whether we know it or not, in little ways. And so if you're thinking negative, you're plugging into all the negativity that exists. If you're thinking positive, you're plugging into all the positivity that exists. So thought is universally rooted. Not individual. It's universally, universally rooted. It's like um, creativity. The ballets, the architecture, the great thoughts that are, are going to be unveiled, the great knowings. We hardly know anything about ele electricity. But eventually that's going to be unfolded. It already exists. And we tap into it. You'll find that most people, when they're creating and they have their eureka moments, other people also Things just happen. It's like when the first man broke the, the, the was it the what mile, the one minute mile or the oh, three minute mile? Yes. When he broke that, after that, everyone began to. Mm -hmm. was the, the crack sure. opening, it happens. Um, when Alexander Graham Bell discovered the telephone, he wasn't the only one. There was the guy in Italy, right? And so things happen like that. Um, but back to, but directly to your question, 
there is a myth that has crippled people. This thought that people are weak, whining mortals. No, we're immortals. That's what we are. And so finding that truth is your life's work. Don't listen to other people. Discover for yourself. Artists who are serious or people who are serious about their lives, they begin to ask the question. They begin the ancient query. Who am I? Why am I here? What do I want? What am I going to contribute? Where do I go after here? What is the purpose of life? Those are the important questions. And when you begin to ask those questions seriously, and if you're serious about it, truths start to whisper to you. If you begin that excavation and you're serious about it, information will come. I, I wanted to share this with you. I, um, I don't have this depth that you have. But I don't I have, believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I have these little tools I use. Yes. And I saw this video and it was a sweet uh, young father with a little five-year-old and he had her look herself right in the eyes in the mirror. Yes. And, and then he, he coached her and he said, not just, don't just look at the mirror, look in there. Yes. You know, it goes deeper. Yes. I love, I don't love the mirror, but sometimes I love that act of looking really at yourself. Yeah. And then he said, you know, sort of repeat after me. And he did this sort of thing where, he, you know, he's, she's five. And he said, you know, I am smart. And the little girl <laughs> says, I am smart. <laughs> and he says, I am beautiful. <laughs> and she says, I am beautiful. And then he, uh, the next one was, um, I am not better than anybody else. <laughs> I'm not better than anybody else. The next one was, and nobody's better than me. There you go. And then, and then I am great and a few other ones. But I thought that was so beautiful. It, gives, it actually gives me chills because yeah. you're at one point saying uh, absolute humility. And the other's, next one is self-pride. That's right. And you know, if I can operate in that, you know, I meet you, I love you, you, ha you love me because why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, if I can operate that way every yeah. day, and that's also one of my best selves. Yeah, that's right. Those are affirmations. Yeah. And people are saying affirmations all the time. If you, if you examine your mind, no matter what you're doing, there's something you're affirming. And that's a lot, we work on that a lot in the studio. There's something you're affirming. Often it could be something that a, a parent told you at a young age. I'm stupid. Mm -hmm. And whether or not people recognize it, those, those affirmations are going on. And so you replace them with positive ones like the ones you're talking about mm -hmm. and they do make a change. Mm -hmm. There is, yeah, it absolutely works. Affirmation works. And, and, and I, what's fascinating to me is what I just said is that people are affirming something all the time, whether it's negative or positive, it's in their head. It's in the subconscious, it's working. So to replace an a negative affirmation with a positive one, is a way to dislodge a cavity. <laughs> it seems so simple, right? Yes. Oh, you know the rule, then yes. apply the rule. Yes. Simple. Yes. Not so much. No, it's work. Yeah. It's work. Um, if you had, uh, you know, you have this amazing creativity. We sat down on another panel and you described your, you know, version of how, how creativity comes out of each one of us. Yeah. But if you had to do another craft, if you had another medium, yeah. what do you think that yours might be? 
I think whatever it was, there was a period where I had an injury. This was years ago when I was dancing, and I immediately started painting. Mm-hmm. And it and it doesn't really matter what it is as long as you're employing creativity. There are parents who are incredibly creative, and there are artists who are not creative, and there's business people who are incredibly creative. And so it's really not the craft or the discipline, mm-hmm. it's the person. Mm-hmm. It's the person. And so... You know, you can't find fault with tools. It's just stepping into creativity wherever you are. And that can be in child rearing, that can be in agriculture, that can be in anything, in design. Helen Keller, she walked into a room and she said, oh my God, this room is perfect. Because the dimensions were a vibration that was speaking to her. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And they've done it along classical lines with the, oh, I forget the Fibonacci and all of that oh, stuff. Fibonacci, yeah, yes, right. yes. And the so, body. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so it perfect. was, and it was all the, it was these yeah. proportions and dimensions. And just by her being in it, she said, this room is perfect. And I feel peace. Isn't that amazing? Mm. So space speaks. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I... Always love spending time with you. I mean, literally, can we just go to lunch and come back? Is that okay with everything? <laughs> but I wanted to, because you're, you're such my buddy. I, I don't know that everybody who's listening knows this, but um, you've been named Master of Choreography by the Kennedy Center in 2005. You're the recipient of the NEA Choreographers Fellowship, the Jacobs Pillow Creativity Award, the Irvine Fellowship in Dance, and the U.S. Artist Award in, in dance, and, and, and tons of others. And your, your company does such beautiful work. You're an amazing man. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's a treat, always. And you're an amazing man, and it's always a treat. You always stay so positive. Um, learn from the best, Lorenzo. <laughs> <laughs>